Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Oh, wait a minute. I know that music, and I don't like the sound of it. Don't worry, Mike. The kind of shark we're talking about today is unlikely to harm you. Unlikely or won't harm me? Never say never, but the chances are very low. Today we're talking about epaulette sharks, a species of shark that's only three to four feet long and will likely only bite if handled by a human. You know, three to four feet, that's still a, a pretty big shark, but I guess I'm, I feel a little bit safer. But we're obviously not here today to talk about them because of their jaws. In August, we had the birth of a, so we had a birth of a, of a baby shark uh, with no male contact with either of the two female sharks that we had in our habitat. Last month, the Brookfield Zoo outside Chicago announced that a shark had given birth even though she had not been housed with a male shark since her arrival in Illinois in 2019. It's part of a process called parthenogenesis, which means the egg grew without being fertilized, basically a virgin birth. That's one of our producers, Chris Blake. I'm Mike Rogers, and this week on Something Offbeat, I spoke with Mike Macellas. He's the lead animal care specialist at the Brookfield Zoo about that virgin shark birth. So tell me about the epaulette shark. They're named for kind of the shoulder pads they have. So, you know, military uniforms have epaulettes that are on the shoulders. And these sharks have really a dark patch on their shoulders that sort of mimic maybe very large eyes uh, that might help protect them from predators. So a lot of people think of sharks as these large predatory things. But these are fairly small species. They get uh, three or four feet in total length. So uh, it, it pays to have big, giant, eye, fake eye, eye patches on your shoulders. Now, where are they found? Yeah, they're found in like Australia and New Guinea. Uh, so they're uh, shallow water tropical species. So uh, they're going to be along the coast and mangroves and tide pools and, and habitat of that nature. And these are what you said, about three, four feet long? Yeah, they're about three or four feet long. And they kind of, they're known as walking sharks. They're in a group of species called walking sharks. So they uh, actually kind of scoot their front and back calves and they can kind of walk on their pe pectoral fins. Uh, along the bottom. They're actually known to actually walk on land, so they can scooch uh, from one tide pool to another. So as long as their gills don't dry up, they are capable of crawling on land. And late this summer, one of those epaulette sharks at the Brookfield Zoo laid an egg with a shark pup in it, despite having no male contact. Yeah, it was uh, definitely uh, something offbeat, I guess you'd say. And just a side note, we'd like to pause here to thank Mike for being the first guest in the history of Something Offbeat to drop the title into one of his answers. Anyway, moving along. Fairly certain that she is the birth of parthenogenesis, which um, means she's either the clone of one of those females, so of her mom, uh, or she's the product of a little bit of genetic mixing that they can do by themselves. Um, but basically, she's... Uh, no male was involved in the in the birth of this shark. Now, 
Mike, I've been trying to think of a holiday pun to go along with this story of a virgin birth around the holidays. Well, you got a lot of time on your hands, don't you? How about um, we're going to need a bigger manger? Okay, no <laughs> response to that. Or if you want something more secular, here comes Santa Jaws. I like that one a lot. That's just off the top of my head. I am pretty proud with what I came up with, though. Shark the Herald Angels Sing. Wow, that's terrible. I'll see myself out. Just awful. Although it's not as bad as that famous shark rap artist's MC Hammerhead. <laughs> I like how you intentionally left it off the script to get my actual reaction to the dad joke. Moving along again. <laughs> As it turns out, Masellus says that even miracle pups like this have to go through genetic testing. As the pup gets larger, we actually can test for this. So we have some folks at the New England Aquarium that have been working with this species, as well as some folks at the Field Museum in Chicago uh, that do some of the genetic work for the species. So when our pup gets a little bigger and we can get a genetic sample without too much injury, we should be able to kind of confirm this and confirm which of the two females is its actual mother. What is the typical reproductive process for this species? So uh, epaulette sharks, like most animals with vertebrates, are uh, going to breed sexually. So a male and a female, uh, they reproduce. Uh, the female will lay eggs, um, and then those eggs will um, incubate for a few months. They're cold-blooded, so kind of the incubation period can vary a little bit. Um, but then after that few months, uh, that egg will hatch. Um, and you'll have a kind of a perfectly formed little shark that goes about its business and tries to avoid predators and starts hunting and doing all the things that the larger parental sharks do. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. But how is that possible? I mean, part yeah, of the I mean, tell me about this. Yeah, so it's a really interesting process. And like I said, it's it's common in invertebrates. So things like, I mean, corals, you can break a piece of coral off and start a new coral head. Um, so like, so a lot of animals don't need to have, don't need to reproduce and mate per se. Um, but most invertebrates, so things with backbones like us, mammals, birds, um, most reptiles, and most fish, they do mate in that way. Um, but I think we're learning more and more. And I think zoos and aquariums by housing animals the way that we often do uh, can kind of be on the forefront of learning what animals can actually do this sort of uh, miraculous stuff. Has this ever happened with an epaulette shark before? Yeah, so uh, we've been fortunate that we've been in contact with our, our colleagues at the New England Aquarium. They have had um, 10 confirmed parthenogenic epaulette sharks, but they're the only other facility that we're, that we're aware of that has confirmed this. So we're the, the second facility and maybe shark number 11 once we can confirm it as she gets a little older. So if parthenogenesis is relatively rare and the New England Aquarium has had 10 shark pups born this way, there must literally be something in the water up there. Any other species that, that this takes place with? Yeah, so there, um, a few shark species um, have been uh, found to be facultative parthenogenesis, so uh, bonnet head sharks, black tip sharks, and zebra sharks, uh, so a few species. 
So there's also some species that are obligate parthenogenesis that do obligate parthenogenesis. That's the only way that they reproduce and very uncommon in vertebrate animals, but there's a handful of rock lizards and a few other lizards so um, that, that only reproduce in this way. So they have all female populations. Um, most of what the things that we're learning about and that we get surprised about is that things that are normally sexual re sexually reproducing that happen to have parthenogenic babies here and there um, and how that factors into kind of their evolution as a species. I think those are the, the questions that we have to ask as we move forward and, and learn these types of things. What was it like for you guys at the zoo when you realized what had happened? Must have been just a complete shock. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely thrilling because usually when you have two female animals, that's not a breeding group. So uh, I think we had been sort of vaguely aware that it was a possibility for this species. And that's why we had been saving their eggs as they laid them. But I don't know that we really believed that we would have a shark until it actually hatched. Have you named the pup? We don't have an official name for the shark yet, but we've informally been calling it 11 Stranger Things slash uh, the 11th known shark. But uh, no, no official name. And and you've had to handle him kind of delicately, right? The the animals born through parthenogenesis, they require some some TLC, don't they? Uh, typically so. That's kind of what we've been anecdotally told is that they're a little bit more sensitive. So just keep an eye, like, you know, all of the molly coddling that you would do for a normal pup, you kind of double it for these guys and really monitor their feeding very closely. Um, uh, just in general, the Sexual reproduction is valuable because it mixes genes and makes generally more robust animals. And that's why zoos and aquariums generally manage their genetics very carefully in terms of even sexually reproducing animals and making sure that there's no inbreeding. Um, the, the less genetic mixing you have, sometimes the more sensitive an animal can become. So uh, an individual can become. So you have to just keep a closer eye, but she's been kind of a champ and she's been eating like a, like a pig and she's out on view for guests. So she has her own a uh, little habitat that people can come and see her in. So how big is is uh, number 11 now? She's probably about seven or so inches. She's she's definitely grown maybe two inches or so since, she, since she's hatched. So she's moving at a good clip. We're happy to see her growing and eating. So. What is a, what does a seven-inch shark eat? She eats kind of a lot of the same things that a shark would eat in the wild. So krill, shrimp, chopped up fish. So everything just chopped up a little bit to make it easier for her. Uh, she also, there's a vitamins that we give our sharks, so we crush those up and put it on the food uh, that she gets. He really is your miracle baby, isn't she? She's really cool, and we're thrilled to have her and uh, excited that we get to have conversations about sharks. She's been, I don't know, a little bit viral, I would say. I'm Mike Rogers, and thanks so much for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Barry and Chris Blake, with puns by Chris Blake, audio editing by Bree Flores, original music by Myron Kaplan, and editorial support from Cooper Mall. Now, to keep listening, please subscribe to us in the Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, let us know about it. Send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.